And so, Lord, now as we turn to the third letter of John, we pray that you would give us insight into what John was saying back in the first century to this um, his friend Gaius. And uh, we thank you that it has been preserved for us down through the centuries, and it is still useful to us, And so, because it's your word. So we pray that you'd help us to understand it, put it into practice, so that we might be salt and light in this dark generation in which we're living. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're on the 13th lesson of the spring quarter, 3rd John. And uh, 3rd John is a terribly long book. It's 15 verses. It's longer than 2nd John, which was 13 verses. 3rd John is kind of a mirror image of 2nd John. Remember 2nd John, John encouraged, he called the chosen lady and her children. And he commended them or her because some of her children were walking in the truth, which we all want. We all want our children to walk in the truth. And so he says that here in Tagaius as well. But the other message of Second John was to avoid false teachers, to not greet them, to not let them go into your house because then you're sharing in their evil deeds. So now this one is about true teachers. So this is the kind of the mirror image of that. Okay, so uh, section A is called, and uh, the title of our lesson is The Obligation of Christian Hospitality. And then section A is The Commendation of Gaius, which is verses 1 through 4. Can I get somebody to... Read that one. Amen. Okay, thank you. So, um, again, the elder, who is not named, but church tradition, you know, universally tells us this is the Apostle John, to Gaius. And uh, there are several Gaiuses in the New Testament, and they believe that none of the this, this one is none of those. <laughs> See, that's on page 106 of the quarterly. There's a Gaius of Corinth. And following his baptism by Paul, this Gaius extended hospitality to the apostle and to the whole church. Early church tradition maintained that he became the first bishop of the church at Thessalonica. Then there's a Gaius of Macedonia. He's mentioned in Acts 19.29. And he was Paul's associate and traveling companion during the third missionary journey. This Gaius, along with Aristarchus of Thessalonica, was seized in the riots at Ephesus. And then there was Gaius of Derby, a different Gaius, this one from the town of Derby, who also accompanied Paul during his third missionary journey from Philippi, as far as Troas. According to tradition, this Gaius was appointed by the Apostle John to be the first pastor of 
Pergamum in Asia Minor. So anyway, this is, Gaius was a popular name back in those days. So he says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. How do you love someone in truth? Yeah, when, when loving someone is um, not always just going along with their activities, is it? Yeah. I mean, we, when we care about someone, when, when we love someone, we want to encourage them to follow the Lord, not in a badgering sort of way, you know, but gently and consistently. We want to encourage them because that, that's how you get blessed. You know, and if you love someone, you want them to be blessed. And so to encourage them, to number, first thing, you want to encourage them to trust Jesus because that's how they go to heaven. And after that, you want to encourage them to submit to what he says because that's how you're blessed in this life and how you earn rewards for the next. So, verse 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So what is John praying for here? So what what is John praying for, for Gaius? Yeah. First he says, I pray that you may prosper. Right? So prospering, that to me that brings up the idea of, you know, material security. Right? Have your needs met. Yes, have your needs met. Um, and spiritual prospering would be what he said before, right? Uh, walking in the truth. That would be spiritual prosperity. That's how you grow spiritually. And then also, what else did he pray for? He prayed for... Prosperity. No, but he prays, and we pray about this a lot. Good health. Oh, yes. You know, on our Wednesday nights, we pray uh, because there's a lot of un ungood health or <laughs> bad health, you know, that needs to be prayed for. But um, so John was praying for Gaius's good health. Yeah, if you have bad health, it certainly limits your options, doesn't it? You can always pray unless you're totally unconscious. But um, there's not a lot else you can do if you're very ill besides pray. But praying is important. So I wanted to talk a little bit about praying. Of course, we... Prayer is one of the things the Lord tells us to do the most of. And it's probably the most powerful thing we can do because uh, if we do it correctly, the Lord will be, the Lord will grant our prayer. And so the omniscient, omnipotent, om, omnipresent God will be working. And that is the most powerful thing there is. So anyway, 1 John 5.14 tells us about prayer. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we want to pray according to his will. Another thing about prayer from 1 John 
5.16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. That's a challenging verse, but, you know, basically, if you have a friend who is a believer who is in sin, you should pray for them to stop it, <laughs> to stop sinning. And if the Lord leads you, you can gently try. It's very delicate to do this, very gently try to correct them. But as he says here, there are some sins for the believer that lead to death. The Lord will execute you and take you home to heaven. Say, okay, you've, that's it. That's enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's examples of that biblically, about that happening. So once they're dead, you don't need to pray for them. They're in heaven, <laughs> okay? But when they're alive and they're a believer in sin, then you pray for them. And uh, the Lord may grant him life, extend the life. Another one about prayer, Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. Now, this is Paul's prayer. And, you know, when you see most of the prayers in the Bible for believers, it's this kind of prayer, which I think we're a little unbalanced. We pray a lot for physical health. But listen to what Paul's praying about here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So he's praying for their spiritual health, for their spiritual growth. You know, and then he goes on, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So as you, you know, we need to pray for each other about that, because as we grow spiritually, it expands, you know. It, be, it becomes, it, you know, it becomes amazing. So then, so we, we want to grow and we want to help each other grow. Then again in Ephesians, about prayer, Ephesians 6 verses 18, and this is prayer in relation to spiritual warfare. Okay, spiritual warfare for us is mostly defensive and Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 talks about putting on the full armor of God. So that's a defensive posture against Satan. But then he goes on to say, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, and with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So prayer is important in spiritual warfare. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray without ceasing. So prayer for the believer is a very important um, thing. And it's how we communicate with God. And it's how 
um, if if we do it according to His will, and you know, in obedience to Him, we can have lives of great power that really have a lot of influence in the world. So, and John was praying for Gaius. Then verse 3, for I was very glad. And I just want to say one other thing about prayer. Is prayer fun? It can be. It can be. Yeah, it can be. But uh, many times your flesh resists it, you know. You say, I don't want to do that. Oh, that's... Yeah, actually praying is spiritual warfare because you have to overcome your flesh. Your flesh has a... Our natural tendency is to say, it doesn't matter, isn't it? That's our natural tendency. And that is what the world tells you. No, it doesn't matter, you know. And, oh, why do I want to do that? You know, go to prayer meeting, for example. Um, that's satanic. It does matter. It matters a lot. And so, anyway, prayer is something. Yeah, and... and uh, the prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. What are you going to do? You can't do anything, really, you know, of any import. Um, so if you want to be a powerful Christian, then you submit to the Lord and you pray. So, verse 3, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in truth. So Gaius had a reputation for walking in truth. How about us? Do we? What do you think? What would your friends say about you? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> that that's, a per that's very personal. That's putting it. But that's what we want. Yeah, we want people... To say when they say it, you know, so and so, he might, he or she might be a little crazy, but they're, you know, sold out. Because when you're sold out, people think you're a little crazy. No, sold out means you're totally committed. You're totally committed to the Lord and His program. Yeah. <laughs> No, when you're sold out, you're totally committed to the Lord and his program. And, you know, our faith varies through life. It, does, it goes up and down. But um, prayer activities like we're doing now, you know, studying the word together, um, worship, things like that, will build your faith and make you more consistent. Um, but you can't be sold out in your own strength. That will that will tire you out. And there are times. Yeah, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will pray for us when we don't when we don't know what to pray, but we want to be engaged. So Gaius had a reputation for walking in truth, and uh, you know it was funny when I went to this church in San Antonio. It was the Northeast Bible Church. It was the first free church I went to, and. Uh, I forget what I was walking in the mall. I, I I forget how what how the encounter happened, but I was talking to a stranger and I said, 
that came up. I went to Northeast Bible Church, and they said, oh, those people, I've heard of those people. That's a good church, you know? So they had this reputation, like Gaius had, a reputation for walking in truth. And that's what we want. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, this is Jesus saying, um, he was talking to the first century Israel at the time. But he said to them, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So someone who is walking with the Lord shows others the way, shows others who are in the darkness the way. They're the light. And um, that's what we want to be, the light. So Gaius was the light. Yeah, he will give you urges of what you should do. Um, and especially in relation to as you read the Bible. The Bible and the Holy Spirit work together. The Bible gives you the will. And he gives you the understanding. You know, I've heard more than one people say before they were saved, they read the Bible and made no sense. Yeah, yeah. And the Holy Spirit gives you the understanding. And, um, you know, we still need instruction. but And the will to do, to follow it. And the power to, because if you try to do this, if you tell an unbeliever to try to do this, they can't do it. It will wipe them out, or it will turn them into a hypocrite. One or the other. They'll give up, or they'll turn into a hypocrite. And, um, you know, we're all hypocrites to some extent. Until we reach perfection, which we won't in this life. But, um, you know, as we submit to the Holy Spirit, we can do these things that without hypocrisy we can do these things without hypocrisy for the right reasons so and then verse 4 I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth and that's exactly what John said last week to the chosen lady and that is you know for those of us who are saved who know other people who are saved, we want to encourage them to grow. And we want them to encourage us to grow. And when they grow, it gives us great joy. So anything else about that section, that little tidbit? I worked it over as hard as I could. Okay, so we're to section B. Praise for Gaius's hospitality. That's verses 5 through 8. Can I get somebody to read that piece? 5 through 8. Okay, thank you. Yeah, another little chunk. So what was Gaius doing? He was encouraging and showing hospitality. Yes. So he took in. Traveling evangelists. Yep. Verse 7, and we know they're traveling evangelists by verse 7, for they went out for the sake of the name. The sake of the name. You know, that reminds me of the 
Of course, this is in Greek, but the Hebrews say Hashem, and they they still do that. They call God Hashem, the name. So that's what they were doing, these traveling people that he was taking in and, you know, feeding and encouraging and <laughs> sending them out again. So this is the opposite of Second John, where the false teachers were coming. And John was saying, do not accept them. So the question is then, how given are we to hospitality? What would you say? Yeah? Come on, come on. That's how it should be. I'm, I'm not, that's the, that's I struggle with that. That's something I struggle with a little bit. That is hospitality. And that, yeah, that's what the lady did for Elijah, right? She had a room. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great practice. Yeah, but, you know, you, you were, you, you're concerned about the condition of your house. You're concerned about your, I, you know, I mean, I, that, that's, pray for me about that because I do struggle with it. Okay. Well, I think, to, I, Alex is right, times have changed. I have to tell you, I saw a comedian telling about this, and this was funny. He says, you know, back in the old days, we say, uh, people are coming over, oh, we're having company, we're having company, and, you know, and, uh, you know, get a cake and something like that, and they come over, you know, they knock on the door, oh, yay, it's company, you know. Now, someone knocks on the door, they say, get down, get down. <laughs> Where's the sword? Get the sword. <laughs> you mean we need to get yeah. Sword? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the culture is different now than back in the old, at least according to the comedian. <laughs> but it, that's very hilarious. What was his name? Some man, man, Elsko, Sebastian, man, Galsko. Anyway, he is, he is funny. Yeah. So, Anyway, where were we? I got lost in. <laughs> right. And, you know, it takes some, uh, you know, it takes the Holy Spirit, right? It takes the Holy Spirit. You're on Gaius being hospitable. I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 13, oh, oh, 2. Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know, that's referring to Abraham in Genesis 18. Three men came up to him, and he was very hospitable to them. And they were the Lord and two angels. That's kind of scary nowadays. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I just... For strangers, yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. You see? Get down. Get the sword. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was part of it. Turn off the lights. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one last verse for you on hospitality. This is First Peter four and verse nine, and this is probably to me: be hospitable, hospitable to one another without complaint, because <laughs> that's the ten. Yeah, that's the tendency without complaint. Yeah, and actually the quarterly has a thing 
uh, it's a portion of something called the Dadaki, I think is what they talk about. Yeah, but there's a limit to the hospitality, you know. It, yeah, they can stay a couple of days, and after that, okay, move on, Betty. <laughs> yeah, so it's not forever. It's not forever. So, um, yeah. So, verse 6, And they have testified to your love before the church. Now, who testified for your love? For the brethren, and especially strangers. Those are the ones who are testifying to Gaius's love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So apparently these travelers came also to John's church and testified about their experience with Gaius. So how would you send someone on their way in a manner worthy of God? Yeah, he probably fed him, probably helped, helped him and said, gave him directions maybe. I don't know. And John, this was kind to them. So John, uh, verse 7, for they went out for the sake of the name. That gives you chills, you know, the name. Yeah. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So again, contrast this with Second John, which should be right next door, verses 7 and 8. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So that is diametrically opposed to how, you know, the Lord loves the cultist, too. He does. He wants them to, to turn, believe, you know, come to him. And so, and I think the quarterly had good instruction. It, it basically said, if you don't feel up to it, because these people are well-trained, and they will twist the scriptures in knots, and unless you are prepared for this, they will, they will, they can, you know, they can overcome you. If you feel like you're not up to it, then you should just say, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust God's word. You're teaching a false doctrine. Go away now and bless you. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what he says, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Because they're not, a, you know, Satan comes as an angel of light. Satan is very deceptive. These people are trained in Satan's tactics, and they are good at it. And they will use deception to get in. But anyway, that was last week. <laughs> this is this... So anyway, they accepted, these people who went out for the name, accepted nothing from the Gentiles. So the, and Monica's translation said pagans. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, divided humanity in the church age into three groups. Do you know those three groups? 
Yeah, three broad groups. The believers is one. That's the church. The non-believers is two. Okay? The non-believers are the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, saying the church, the believers, are Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile are part of the church, and that was the breaking down of the dividing wall. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So the unbelieving Jews, the unbelieving Gentiles, and the church. Those are the three broad categories of humanity in the church age. And so... Um, but these people accepted nothing from the Gentiles. So they did not accept donations from unbelieving Gentiles. Okay? Now, would unbelieving Gentiles donate? <laughs> that makes you wonder. Would an unbelieving Gentile donate? I don't know. Maybe they would. I don't that you, we want to witness. Right. But we don't, but we don't want to join. Right, we don't want to join into their practices. And so there's a there's a balancing there because if you join too much with them, sin is very sin is very attractive and can get us. And so we we don't want to, you know so we have to tell them and we don't want to be unfriendly to them, but we don't want to engage in sinful practices either. So yeah, there, you know, and you tend to, when you become a believer, you tend to separate yourself from your former, you know, friends that you sinned with. Yeah, I know that my friend that I went through training with told me I was no fun anymore <laughs> because I because I wouldn't do the stuff we did before which was debauchery, you know, and I wouldn't do it anymore. And he says, boy, you're really dampening my <laughs> plans. <laughs> and I said, yeah, so, so, uh, so anyway, you know, and I, I think if you, you know, you want to be friends with cultists, you can do that. And you try to, you know, witness to them as well as you can. You just don't join in them with their false stuff. So in verse 8, so, well, I, I did want to, well, I guess. So verse 8 goes along with verse 7. These uh, traveling missionaries accepted nothing from the unbelieving Gentiles. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So this is how missions work today, too. Missions, missionaries do not go to unbelievers to ask for support. They go to believers to ask for support. And believers, by supporting missionaries, we participate in their work. Okay? So... You know, we we talk about spiritual rewards. This is a spiritual reward. You participate in the work of the missionary. You know, perhaps you can't go to Cameroon, but we support Becky Rohrer, who right. goes to Cameroon. Yeah, and um, things like that. And that's you know, missionaries. Not everybody has the same gift. Right. The, right. 
the Lord has a mission for every single believer, but not everyone is to be a missionary and to go to a foreign land. Yes, I mean, look at our neighborhood. What a mission field yeah. <laughs> it is, you know, and it's getting worse all the time. So, but that's an encouraging thing when you're when you're, uh, you know, giving to missionaries to think this is treasure in heaven. This is converting money, which is worthless spiritually, to eternal treasure. Okay, so um, anything more on that? Gaius's hospitality. Okay, so the last section is the condemnation of Diotrephes. That's a good Greek name. And the commendation of Demetrius. Now, this is interesting. So I'll read that section. That's 9 to the end, 9 through 15. I wrote something to the church. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? So he's writing to Gaius. Because first he wrote to the church. Okay, so I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we add to our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So I think I made an error earlier when I told you Gaius was the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. I believe it was Demetrius. Yeah, yeah, it was from the quarterly. According to later tradition, John appointed Demetrius as pastor of the Philadelphian church. So it, it was not Gaius. So anyway, this Diotrephes appears to be the pastor or uh, an elder of the church. John, the apostle, probably the only living apostle left, wrote something to the church. And this guy says no. Can you imagine <laughs> saying no to the only living apostle? I, I, I would be afraid to be struck by lightning. If that, you know? That yeah, my goodness. goodness. Who is this guy? So Diotrephes was rebellious against John the Apostle. Why, do, why was he doing so? It kind of talks about it there in that verse 9. Yeah, verse 9, the, it says, He loves to be first among them. Isn't that, wasn't that the sin of Satan? Pride? He wants to be like God? Yeah. 
He loves to be first. You know, that is dangerous. That is dangerous. All through the Bible, pride is pride argued again. Pride comes before the fall, yeah. And God resists the proud. So if you want to have God be your enemy, be prideful. I know. What's he doing here? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. I'm wondering. He's spreading malicious gossip. So Diotrephes in verse 10 tells you he sins unjustly, accusing the apostle with wicked words. Yeah. Number two, does not receive the missionaries. And number three, excommunicates those who are hospitable. So he's excommunicating people who are doing good. Now, how should a church deal with a leader like that? Yeah, I mean, to a leader, it's a little bit different to a leader than it is to a, a regular person. You know, if someone sins against you personally, then you go to them privately. But to leaders, no, he's not doing things privately. He's doing it so in public. Right. So that he put himself above the apostle. Yes. Who is, <laughs> you know, who is um, appointed by God. Yeah, so 1 Timothy 5.19 talks about the discipline of elders. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Okay, so you see it skips the first part that Jesus talked about in Matthew 18. You have to have two at the beginning, and then you go and tell them to knock it off. Okay, and if they don't, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all before the whole church so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. So you go before the, for an elder, you have to have two agree at what he's doing, and then you go before the entire church. You know, he says, you go to him with the two and say, okay, this is a problem. You need to change this. And if he doesn't, then you go before the entire church and rebuke him before the church. So then he says in verse 11, do not imitate evil, but good. And that's what Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And then the last, gosh, I thought I'd be early done with this one early. Verse 12, Demetrius, he just has one verse. He was appointed the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, and he had a good example. He's received good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself, and we add our testimony so John knew Demetrius and that he was a biblical believer. And so, and apparently later he became the pastor at Philadelphia, which was a good church, the Philadelphian church, remember? That was when there was no rebuke from Jesus. So anyway, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be hospitable people in our day. And uh, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. We look forward to Proverbs. Amen. Here we go. Yes. Yeah, we've got it at, at